see you. Excuse me, I've got a very big folder, haven't I? <laughs> don't, be, don't be afraid. Um, <laughs> um, this morning, I sensed God wanted me simply to open the scriptures and to let them speak for themselves. And so I've got my kind of annotated notes like I would have in a class. And let's see what it is the Lord is wanting to do. Lord, open our eyes that we would see you. Open our ears. God, we need to hear you speak to us. And open our hearts, Lord, that we would respond to you. Amen. Any good story has got a beginning. This is Aristotle, the, a middle. Now, the beginning set the trajectory for where the story's going to go, set the big themes in place, and we start to see them worked out in the middle. But then it's driving toward an end. At the beginning of this series, John uh, spoke to you about the prologue in John's gospel, that extraordinary piece of what, almost poetry, isn't it? The word in the beginning, echoing this whole story of creation, in the beginning, God. That's what the Jews knew. And here in John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word was with God. The word was literally facing God. This incredible picture of intimacy and relationship. This strong picture because the word was God. And so we hear that the word had come down and he was tabernacling like they did in the, when the, in the wilderness with the, the temple tent you know, this tabernacle tent, that God was present in their midst. And the extraordinary thing with the tabernacle, you know, all those things that you read in Numbers and you think, oh my gosh, when is this going to end? The thing that we learn as much as anything is every tribe was equidistant to the tabernacle because every person is equally positioned with access to God's presence. And here is you know, this incredible picture of Jesus, the Word who has come and was in their midst. We hear that people rejected him. You know, he came to those things, those people, his whole creation, that was his own, and his own didn't know him. But Jesus, who is close to the Father's heart, we get again this picture of intimacy, is literally the exegesis, the unfolding of who God is. If we want to know who God is, we look and see Jesus. Now here, this passage that I'm speaking to you about is the second half of John's gospel. The word who had come down from heaven had come to earth, and now... At this time of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart. And so that which had happened in the first half of the book and come down, he is now saying, I'm departing and I'm going back to the Father. This is the hour that has come. 
In John's gospel, we keep hearing this idea of, my hour has not yet come. Don't ask this of me. My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And through and through. And finally in chapter 12, when the Greeks had come to him, he said, my hour has come. And now, as we transition into the second half of the book, my hour has come to depart to this world and go back to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world. You see, what we're getting here is an echo of this prologue, this grand orchestra um, overture here at the beginning, and now we're starting to hear it recalled as we start to see this movement back to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the fullest extent. There is nothing more that God could have done for us than sending his unique son, who is indeed God, to show his love for us. Again, we hear of the rejection. The devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas, of Simon um, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. The heart is the seat of the will. And it's this heart this morning that I'm asking the Lord to open for us that we would step into what he is saying to us here. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, all things were into his hands. There is nothing that is happening that is outside of what God has allowed. That all things have come from God and that he, he had come from God and he's going to God. He got up from the table and we get this extraordinary story of the cosmic God of all the earth doing the simple, servile task of washing the disciples' feet. But there's more. <laughs> you know, any good story has, you know, and this is story, but it's story, I describe it as history wrapped in literature. Okay? And we've seen these threads that are unfolding and they're weaving in. And in chapter 12, as, you know, Jesus had said, my hour has come. He is there in Mary of Bethany's house. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, loved friends of Jesus. And Mary anoints him, anoints his feet and wipes them with her hair. This extravagant act of love and preparation, indeed using quantities of oil reminiscent of what would be used for a king. We get this royal picture. There is none greater. And here, we get the same picture but with utter simplicity. 
taking not this anointing oil, this most expensive nard that was known to water and doing the task to be fair, not even of a Gentile servant. You see, to wash someone's feet, a Jewish slave was not even required to wash people's feet because it was believed that because, you know, the Jewish people were the chosen of God, that that was too low a task for someone to do. A Gentile slave could do it. And Jesus did that task, and you get this incredible act of humility. It's, it's both outrageous and beautiful. He got up from the table took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself, pouring water into a basin and beginning to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them again, not with his hair but with this towel. This incredibly beautiful story who was worthy of the most expensive nard doing this for others. How outrageous that the God of the universe would lead in this way. And of course, as he goes on to say, this is an example for you. Hard to understand. Simon Peter certainly doesn't. And so often we are the Simon Peter who doesn't understand what it is that God is asking of us or where God is placing us. And, and he's kind of affronted, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, you know, you don't know what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. What is that about? Well, it's very soon after this and in this chapter that Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. You see, God knows what it is that we need. And sometimes we are in that place and we think, Lord, you're asking this, but we don't understand, but God does. Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. I've got to, you've got to love Peter. He's this extrovert, you know, passionate guy who so often stumbles and gets things wrong. But God, our precious Jesus, never gives up on him. How extraordinary. Aren't we often that person? In an earnestness for God, we blow it or we make a mistake. Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. This is inheritance language. There are things that Peter is going to get to inherit, but you've got to undergo this type of cleansing. And there's different kinds of language being used here. You know, it's not that, and so Peter goes, well, Lord, if it's just not my feet, my whole body, because Peter wants all in. Isn't that awesome? He wants this all in. And of course, he's misunderstanding. You know, one who is bathed doesn't need to wash. Peter, he's talking about this kind of daily washing. 
except for the feet. And it's this, using this language of this kind of ritual cleansing, it's this purification for the sake of the temple, whom John has said is Jesus. Not a building, but a person. You are clean, he says, though not all of you. Because what did we hear? Judas was going to betray him. Jesus knew that this rejection was coming. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. But now he drives home this lesson. After he'd washed their feet, he put on his robe and he returned to the table and he said to them, now here, um, it's often written as a question, do you not know what I've done for you? But actually, in the, in the scriptures, there never were punctuation marks or anything. And I think here there isn't a question so much as emphatic, realize what I have done for you. You call me teacher and Lord. And it's right, for that is what I am. So if I'm your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you ought to be in the habit of washing one another's feet. And it's written uh, with this type of verb, um, present continuous. Ask Julia if you want to know questions about Greek. She's the guru here. Uh, This is to be your continual kind of action of doing this for others. Now, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Because, you know, Judas was in their midst, and yet Jesus here had washed his feet along with the disciples that hadn't really quite understood what is going on. He says, for I've set you an example so that you should do as I've done to you. I tell you, servants are not greater than their master nor messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Just do it. Make this your pattern. You see, in the first half of the gospel, Jesus has been teaching them, and we've been finding out more about his identity. But now, as he goes back to the Father, he's handing over agency of his mission to the disciples. Now, of course, they're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do this. But this is the doing that Jesus is asking doing those simple things, doing those maybe not so pleasant things, but just being people that do the love of God to one another. Love is a verb. (laughs) It's not a thing, it's a verb, it's a doing word. We pray, we give, we go, we love, we serve, we wash. We put the kids to bed. You know, it's the doing stuff, the gritty stuff of life. He says, I'm not speaking to all of you because we know what's happening with Judas. I know whom I've chosen, but it's to fulfill this scripture. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Now, in the Middle Eastern world, you know, as they recline at table, they put their feet out to the back because you don't, 
you don't show the sole of your foot to someone. It's the same in Asia. It's considered this rejection, this, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's rude, it's contemptible to show someone. But in the scriptures, in Psalm 41, it speaks of open rebellion and disdain of a trusted friend. And this is the scripture used of Judas. He is a friend of Jesus, and yet he is this one who has chosen to move away. How hard is that to be betrayed by a friend? The one who ate my bread has lifted the heel against me. I tell you this now before it occurs, so that when it occurs, you might believe that I am he. And the whole purpose of John's writing is that you believe, that you believe in this, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and through this you have life in his name. Very truly, I tell you, whoever receives the one whom I send, and, and this is his disciples, this, this is you, the followers of Jesus, he's sending you, receives me. How good is this with these five people that we're praying for? You know, Jesus is sending us. Whoever receives the one whom I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Because all of this is to reconnect people with the Father. I want to tell you just this next little bit in this story. I know we didn't hear it, but I think it's so critical. After saying this, Jesus was deeply disturbed in his spirit. He says, very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples look around thinking, who's he talking about? One of the disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. They're sitting at a low, like, low table and, you know, legs sprayed out to the side and eating together. And Simon Peter, you know, he just wants to know. He kind of motions to the one next to Jesus. You know, who's he speaking about? And so they ask, Lord, who is it? And he said, it's the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Now, Jesus is the host of this meal. And when the bread is broken and it is given, you give this first choice morsel to someone. It's an act of love. It's an act of lifting someone up. And who does Jesus give it to? Judas. The one who's going to betray him. And yet even here, Jesus is offering this act of hospitality to an enemy. God, creator of the universe, washing disciples' feet, restoring people who don't understand, like Peter, he's going to go on. He's going to betray him. In the next section, Peter betrays him. You see, both betray him. 
But Peter turns again to God. And yet even for this betrayer, he's given this choicest morsel. And this is what service looks like. It's to those whom you love and to those whom you don't. Or who have rejected you. I don't want to say those whom you don't have love. That doesn't work, does it? (laughs) And we have those people in our life. I mean, here we've got the story, but isn't this a human dynamic where we might be a Peter or we might be even a Judas or people have been that to us where they have turned and yet Jesus holds out this choice morsel to them. I just sensed this morning that the Lord was wanting us to get ourselves into the story and maybe some of us are just bathing in this love of God, in this certainty of God who is, his heart is always toward us. But others who, who feel that they're the Peter, they try so hard to do the right thing, but somehow you, 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 don't, you don't always do it. <laughs> Jesus restores or maybe someone has been a Judas to us and has, has hurt, has betrayed us. They were trusted friends and they betrayed us. And that God is wanting you to be a restorer. And God is wanting to strengthen you and restore you so that you too can wash someone's feet by showing them love. So I want us to just sit with that for a minute and think, Lord, what are you saying to me? We've prayed that he will open our ears. So let's sit and and see what it is that he is saying. some of you need to hear that God loves his people to the fullest extent. It is not measured out in little bits, but his love is abundant for you. As we were praying before church, I saw this picture um, of this waterfall, just kind of water just pouring over. It was actually of a woman with a Māori korawai, the cloak, around her shoulders. 
And the love of God was simply pouring over. And maybe that is something the Lord might speak to you in, where he just wants you to stay in that place and let him love you. Let him wash your feet. And I think some of us need to step into the water. It's just one step into that water and just let him strengthen you for this mission that he's sending you into. So loving God, as we move into communion, would you meet with each one of us? God, help us to allow you to love us, allow you to serve us, as outrageous as that sounds. And Lord, help us to be bold enough to step, take that, take that step into what you have for us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.